Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 31 You are Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a September 16th Friday edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast. I'm your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson, a writer for BlazersEdge.com and the former Blazer beat writer for the Vancouver Columbian. Welcome back. It is still crossover week. It is the Friday of crossover week here on the Locked On Podcast Network and here on Locked On Blazers. Earlier this week, we had David Locke. We had Josh Lloyd from the Locked On Fantasy Podcast. We had Fred Katz from Locked On Thunder yesterday. David Locke, of course, the pod father of our great network and the host of Locked On Jazz and Locked On NBA. And continuing in that same vein, we are joined today by Danny LaRue, our, the newest member, or well, not the newest member because we just added somebody yesterday, but one of the newest members of the Locked On Podcast Network. You may have heard Danny or read Danny before, either at the Sporting News or on the Dunked On Basketball Podcast, Real GM Radio. We're really excited to have Danny uh, here on the network with us. Great basketball mind. Had a lot of fun chatting with him the other day, and I hope you enjoy this conversation about the two teams that met last year in the Western Conference semifinals, the Blazers and the Golden State Warriors. Hi, I'm Eric Garcia-Gunderson from Locked On Blazers. And I'm Danny LaRue of Locked On Warriors. And thank you for joining us for a Blazers-Warriors crossover pod as we are starting to ramp things up for the Locked On Podcast Network, including the debut of Locked On Warriors with Danny LaRue. Yeah, it's fun to be a part of the network. It's I, I delayed it a little bit just because I wanted to be able to roll when the season was starting, but you guys have done really great work up to now. Yeah, we're happy to have you, obviously, you know, with your vast podcasting experience with Real GM and Dunked On, and uh, we're, we're stoked to have you. I know you're, that you're going to be a great addition to the network, and, you know, you're my friend, so I'm, I'm happy to have you on the team as well for that reason. Yeah, and it's fun that our kind of you could say that our friendship was partially forged by that notable series last year. Yeah, and I guess that's a great place to start, Danny, and uh, a professional in every respect. And uh, the great series last year, entertaining five game series. It was uh, the bet the most evenly played five game series that I've probably ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it certainly helped a little bit that the best player in the series didn't play, but I thought it was notable to a degree how well Portland played even in those losses. They were competitive, and 
you could juxtapose it with the Rocket series, where I think that went five games as well, where it just kind of lingered, and the Blazers were in every game. Yeah, they were, and I think even too, you know, and Curry wasn't 100% even when he did come back, and I think that when he did come back, the Blazers, you know, still were able to really score against the Warriors, you know, their guards were able to, they just weren't able to find any, you know, reliable sources of points out of the, you know, their big man, Mason Plumlee had a pretty rough series, and uh, they just weren't able to really get enough out of all of their guys, and and Damian Lillard also too, you know, he had some great games, but, you know, he kind of tailed off at the end of, the, you know, in that fifth game, and uh, yeah, no, but that was a, an interesting series, and I think it really, you know, do you think that the Blazers are a team that can, you know, get into that top four and, and maybe get home court advantage next season in the playoffs? They could definitely be a good regular season team because they can score and they, they play with intensity. And one of the real takeaways from the Warriors' regular season success the last couple of years is just playing with effort every game. And that is a real differentiator. And the Blazers are in that sweet spot where they've had some success, so they want to get better, but they haven't been so good that they're going to lay off the gas pedal. And I think I think that's something that we'll see with the Warriors. We might even see it from the Spurs, definitely from Cleveland. And that could open the door for it. The big question, as it is with all of these teams in the kind of packed tier in the West, is health. And so if Portland can stay healthy, they should be they should have a reasonable shot at it. Yeah, uh, I, I think health is is going to be a, a big one. They had the Damian Lillard injury for about three weeks last year with plantar fasciitis, which uh, kept him out of the Olympics or, as well as in, it, when he was in the running for the Team USA. And uh, then they had Myers Leonard get hurt as well. But other than that, they didn't really have any major injuries to key contributors. And if they get a couple, you know, I think they're deep enough to withstand – some, but if it's one to Lillard or McCollum, that is when it gets very dicey very quickly. That will also be a test for Terry Stotts just to see how, if that happens, and of course we all hope that it doesn't, with how he handles Evan Turner in this ecosystem, because one of the benefits of having Evan Turner on this team is that it is somebody else who can shoulder the playmaking load when the other player sits or, you know, if you want to give them a little bit of time where they're not just handling it all the time, that can be very stressful physically to, to do that. And while I have been critical of not only the money, but just the decision with Turner in that specific circumstance, he could really be useful. Absolutely. I, I do think that there's a, a, a thing to the evaluation of Turner that is very much, you know, uh, you know, you have to kind of value the things that he's going to be able to do, and I think that his value in being a secondary ball handler when one of the two guys is off the bench or if one of them gets hurt, you know, he may be able to, you know, really help with the playmaking load. And two, you know, Portland isn't going to get a ton of the big free agent names. They they swung big. They tried to get Chandler Parsons. They tried to get Hassan Whiteside, and. You know, they, those guys didn't come, and Turner wanted to come. So part of the you know the thing with Turner as well is that you know it's maybe they could have used that money elsewhere, but you know they they wanted a ball handling wing, and that's what they got, even if it's even if it is Evan Turner. Yeah, I think that's a, a healthy way to think about it. And Chandler Parsons would have been better for a lot of reasons. I think he's a better player when he's healthy. But when you take those kind of players off the table, and 
a specific constraint on the Blazers was that this money was only available for a short time. You know, this wasn't a circumstance like, let's say, Minnesota or Utah, where they could slide it over for a couple of years because when you've drafted well and those guys are due for raises, the realistic nature of this business is that though they will cost more money and that will evaporate your cap space. And so Portland did have this narrow window and on that logic, while you know, while Evan Turner isn't necessarily the best use of that money, they did have to use it. And if you have an owner like Paul Allen who is willing to spend, and it sounds like he is, it also changes the calculus because you can you can spend a little bit more, let's call it recklessly, but you don't suffer the same ill effects as a team like, to use an example, Oklahoma City. Wow, I'm using all Northwest teams where their ownership seemed less willing to go into the luxury tax for a non-elite team. This was the first year they paid it. So those kinds of decisions can be more catastrophic. So Paul Allen really helps. Yeah, he definitely helps. I mean, he he clearly uh, he was actually really moved by um, the performance from the team last year. Uh, he reportedly cried, you know, in the locker room to the team, according to the players, after you know about you know how inspired he was by this team. So he's definitely moved. And another plus for him is that they have a buffer of time where you know they're they're going to have to pay the luxury tax in I think two seasons. Uh, well, they're not going to pay it this year, and they will pay it next year, and then so they still. You know, they'll pay it the, the year after that when McCollum's extension kicks in. But, you know, they have a little time until that repeater tax to kind of figure out who they want to keep. And by that point, you know, the guys, they'll have only a couple of years left on their deal. But who knows whether that's going to be good or bad at that point. Not to get too CBA nerdy, though, as you know, I can. The repeater tax also might not exist at that point because point. there will be a new collective bargaining agreement basically no matter what and the repeater tax is sticky kind of for all sides because the biggest thing that it has done is it has scared small markets out of spending and that so it didn't do what they wanted to which is kind of scare big markets out of spending and because you know teams are going to do what they're going to do but for the small markets it has really had that effect and so we could see it minimized or outright eliminated especially I mean, the worst thing in some ways that happened to the Blazers with that is just the looming specter of the Warriors being a theoretical taxpayer. And some of these organizations might do something that's not in their own best interest just to try to spite them. Yeah, well, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't this system put in place in large part as a reaction to LeBron going to Miami? It absolutely was. Yeah, so you could definitely see that happening again. And so... uh, that's a really interesting wrinkle that I had not considered. Uh, and I've talked a lot about that on this podcast, you know, the, the time frame, And that's, you know, that's really important because, yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to come up here on a, uh, on a decision here to renegotiate or not. And, yeah, they're going to have to have a new uh, CBA. So, no, really interesting stuff. But about the Warriors, you know, about that, uh, you know, a, a big move and people trying to spite them, you know, what do you think – uh, you know, I read some of your stuff when it ha- when the the series went down. But you know, how do you think what 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 you know happened for this team? You know, obviously, how hurt was Curry when you saw him, and and what do you think this the way last season ended? You know, so the way it did. How do you think that's going to change things for this team moving forward? 
It changes a lot. And I do think that Curry being under 100%, I don't have any inside information, but if I had to ballpark it, having watched his entire career, I would say he was between 70 and 80% in the finals. And that's about what he was throughout. Had some great performances that overtime against Portland, had a couple big things against OKC, especially in game seven, and didn't even really have that moment against the Cavs. But it's a really complicated aspect of it because a lot of the change is emotional. And this is a Warriors team that is very different from a lot of the great teams, the stories of the Jordan rules with the Pistons and everything else, because the Warriors never really had that moment of banging their head against the wall. They did lose a couple of playoff series. You know, they lost to the Spurs after they shocked the Nuggets a couple of years ago, and then they lost to the Clippers when Bogut was hurt and all of that sort of thing. But they didn't have that real struggle like so many championship teams go through and then they win a championship and then they break the wins record and then they're you know coasting until curry slips on donatas moniunis's sweat and all of a sudden everything changes and so whether how they handle that is going to be very interesting especially when you consider the personal dynamics of all the guys because when i've dealt with them after the finals at exit interviews and some of them were on team usa of course they're taking it really personally and to various degrees, you know, they can Draymond green getting suspended for game five of, of the NBA finals. You could make a very reasonable argument that that cost the Warriors a championship, even with Curry's limitations, they would have had three bites at the apple with close to a full staff other than, you know, what happened to Bogut and him being out made them a big underdog in that game. Clay disappeared for games at a time in the finals and, you know, Curry was Curry. You can say it was limitations or whatever. He is owning that to whatever degree. So they can look at it from the sense of, I let my team down. I think that's not the right way to view it because it was just a series of crazy circumstances and LeBron playing out of his mind, which is awesome to see, to get to experience it. So it is in the eye of the beholder. And the other crazy part about it is that this team as they were constructed, won't really get a chance at redemption, if you want to call it that, because they are something entirely different now. Yeah, they are really different. And this is a very interesting point for them, because I do think that they're you know, going to be a, a really strong team. I think they're going to be a dominant team. I think they're going to be the best team in the West. But it, it is the, the personal aspect of this team, you know, a team that was built so much on the chemistry and how great everyone goes together, you know, everyone is taking it personally and they're blaming themselves and, you know, it, it, that all is the, in the right spirit. But at the same time, I feel like a team like the Warriors was built so much on having some – I know that Draymond really tested the edge, but I feel like ultimately they were a team built on a really good emotional equilibrium. And I, it, you just wonder, you know, if that gets disrupted, you know, how that's going to affect things because I feel like it's pretty unpredictable. It certainly is, and – we do sometimes overstate and sometimes understate the personalities and how that affects everything. I mean, when you see a team that really underperforms or really overperforms, a lot of times that is something that is a part of the equation. But at the same time, you can't lose sight of the fact that talent wins championships. And while Miami didn't win their first time and they didn't win their last time, you know, they were in the mix every single time. And this Warriors team, if they stay healthy, is a juggernaut in a way that even the team that last year that broke the wins record was not because part of when I when I wrote the Durant piece for the Sporting News in November of last year that was 
so why I got so captivated by the idea is that we have never seen two MVP caliber players, and I mean MVP caliber players being guys who had already won an MVP, playing together in their primes. In the history of the NBA, we've seen a lot of, you know, great players where one was early and one was in their prime or both were late or, you know, various collections like that. But Durant at full health and Curry at full health have both won MVP awards and their games actually make sense together, which is another huge difference for some of the other, let's call them super teams that we've seen in the recent past. I I can't wait to watch these guys play in the regular season. I know that even in the preseason, honestly, I'm going to watch their first preseason game. I mean, the things that they're going to be able to do, you know, a Durant and Curry pick and roll is going to be incredible. And just the spacing that they're going to have on the court with, you know, four guys, you know, potentially five, if they're going, you know, that can all shoot the three. And uh, it's going to be, you know, if you include Iguodala and you say you can knock out a couple corner shots, but, you know, this team is going to be incredible to watch. Those They do complement each other really well. I really am interested to see, you know, I think Draymond is probably going to lose a lot of touches. And I think he's probably going to be totally fine with with the role that he assumes. But, like, I'm kind of excited to see, like, what he's going to do with, like, is he going to get, like, 15 rebounds a game or something? Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. And the one of the big differences, though, that, that will be a part of the perception of this team is that they won't go to their best lineups very often. So Draymond at center probably won't happen very much in the regular season. So that will lower his rebounding numbers. But the real challenge, and I hadn't thought of this until you started kind of framing it in this way, is that Steve Kerr's job has really shifted from a Greg Popovich issue or challenge to a Phil Jackson challenge. So when Popovich is generally about, you know, making a beautiful basketball, getting the team humming as best as possible, Phil Jackson is great at managing these teams that have incredible talent and personality. And the Warriors, really, the personalities were pretty easy to manage because these guys grew up together. But now, Durant is a very different piece. And that doesn't mean that it will fail or anything like that. But the challenge now isn't making the basketball work because the basketball is going to work. It's making sure that everybody's happy. And also, and this ties in with something that I'm probably going to talk a lot about on Lockdown Warriors, which is how Kerr decides to run his rotations. Because who plays together and who plays apart will matter a lot, not only in terms of what we see statistically and, you know, how much they beat teams by, but also their happiness. You know, like, will will they want to give Durant 10 minutes a game to really run the show like Billy Donovan ended up going to with Oklahoma City? Or will he say, no, you guys need to figure this out and you guys are going to play more together and then have more of a second unit bench mob? There isn't a right answer or wrong answer that at least the two of us can say right now, but you will everybody will have to kind of figure that out as they go it's danny larue from locked on warriors with me here on locked on blazers as part of our crossover podcast week we're doing them all over the locked on podcast network and we have nfl shows that we just added the seahawks show on the locked on podcast network so definitely be sure to check out everything on the locked on podcast network including danny's show Danny, uh, I, I do have a question, though. Uh, we I talked about it a little bit when you asked me uh, in The Athletic after uh, the series was over um, to do to talk about what, what we learned from that series. And one of the things I pointed to was the big, big man situation for 
the Warriors. How big of an issue is that still? I'm not completely sure because it is something that at, at their best they won't need that often because Draymond will be playing center, Durant will be playing the four. But the pieces are definitely different. Zaza Pachulia is more of an offensive guy than Andrew Bogut, who even with his more limited mobility and everything else, was still one of the five best defensive centers in the league. And they also had this fascinating combination. Mo Spates was inconsistent, but Kerr knew how to use him, which is an incredibly valuable thing. And so they're going to have to cobble it together in a very different way because David West is a talented guy, has been a part of winning teams, of course, in the recent past. And then what are they going to do with the young guys? So if Kevon Looney is healthy, he actually did show some things both in the D-League and Summer League and in practices from what I heard. So they are going to have to manage all of that. But it is a very different thing because this team isn't going to be focused so much on the regular season. So they'll help and they'll need to figure it out. But when their best five-man lineups involve none of those players, I don't think it's that big an issue. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned you know, what they're going to focus on this season. And after winning 73 games, I guess you really don't have anything else to prove in terms of what, you know, showing your, you know, how, how many wins you can rack up. But, you know, where do you see them, you know, where do you see them finishing? Uh, I mean, do you still think that they'll, you know, run away with the, the Western Conference as, as I think most assume that they will? Probably, because they can do the double, which actually the Warriors team last year did a little bit, partially because Stephen Curry had that ridiculous season is that they can win games when they're not at their best. And that is a really different thing. Even Cleveland, during their stretches, I mean, they ran away for a point with the Eastern Conference, and Toronto came back and did a really good job. But the Warriors can win games without you know Curry blowing up for 40 points or Durant getting 30 or however it's going to go like that because they have a lot of good players. They have a lot of capable defenders. So... They could be, you know, humming along at the, let's say, 55-60 win pace, but just winning all of those 50-50 games. The Warriors last year were one of the best clutch teams in NBA history because they just were really good. And so the terrifying prospect of other teams with the Warriors is that you have to knock them out early. Portland actually did this in that regular season game last year. And that is the way to beat this team because if it's close late and they're healthy, it's going to be really hard. So they could actually coast to a ridiculous number like 65 or 70. Yeah, no, I, I think they're going to still be in the high 60s again. I mean, they won 67 the year before. Obviously, that was pretty much the same team. But, you know, it's funny, that 67 win team, I know that the other team won 73, but I do feel like, I, I, I don't know, it felt like they came from behind like – way more like they were just the year they won 67 like they were just able to like come from behind come from behind I just remember watching every game that season it's like oh they're down by 15 they're still gonna win this game in the fourth quarter yeah Um, they were they were very different in that way and also the Warriors in the 67 year when they won the title they were more consistent defensively I think partially because they had they they had had to prove themselves in that way they had you know they hadn't really done a whole lot in the playoffs they'd won one series up to that point because they lost to the Clippers in the first round the year prior so they brought that intensity top to bottom more consistently and with their defense and their offense it's really terrifying but they didn't have to do that really last year 
with much consistency. They had those moments like against the Clippers, I think it was early in the season when they were down 15 and then they won by, I think 10 or 15 going away. And so they will have those moments from time to time, but you're right that it was, it was a different animal last year. And I think it will be a, a meaningfully different one this year too. Yeah. I'm very excited. I'm very excited for these matchups against these two teams. It, it does feel like, you know, the, 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 I feel like the Warriors bring out the best in the Blazers is what, what I see. I mean, they, obviously they're the, you know, they were the best team in the league last year and they were the champions. So of course they're going to, they're going to do that to most teams. But uh, I do feel like, you know, the Blazers really do, you know, it, they, they can get hot and when they get hot, it's, it's a fun game against the Warriors. There is a meaningful difference from what I've been able to tell. And a lot of this is through body language, which is strange because it's something I don't like talking about, but <laughs> The Warriors, as a team, appear to really dislike some Western Conference teams, the Rockets and the Clippers being the most notable, like on a more visceral, personal level. And that doesn't mean every guy hates every guy or anything like that, but just structurally and for a lot of reasons. But then the Spurs and the Blazers, it seems like they have a lot of respect for those teams, and they generally like the guys. And it makes sense because Portland has a lot of good people. Dame has the connection to Oakland as well. And now with Festus, Festus was a guy who the Warriors players really liked as well. That is a meaningful difference. And CJ, Dame, Aminu, all of those guys are well-respected from what I can tell by the Warriors and the locker room and and all the guys. And they they gave them a great series last year. And that can make it more fun. Some people like the idea of animosity, but mutual respect is really fun too because that means that you can assess them and you respect them. And Portland has played some legitimately great games against the Warriors as well. Yeah, no, they, they've had some great moments. Of course, Damian Lillard has had, you know, like four career highs against the Warriors in his career uh, as a Blazer. And I think, too, you know, there's there's the, the fact that the, all those guys are pretty well respected. I think also, too, the fact that, uh, you know, they're not they're, – I, I, I don't like to compare them because they are very different, especially with Clay Thompson's size. But both their backcourts both came from, like, kind of unheralded college backgrounds. I mean, Clay Thompson – you know, not going to Washington State and and Steph Curry playing at Davidson and the Lehigh Weber State connection. So I think there's just a lot of respect there too. That you know, both these backcourts, a lot of the leaders on this team, all came from kind of unheralded backgrounds. So there is a lot of respect. And Dame Lillard also says like he watches the war. I mean, because a lot of people, if you watch, if you like basketball you, and you have league pass, you're going to watch the Warriors. And but Lillard says, like one of the, you know, he watches the Warriors a lot, not just because he's from Oakland, but just because he you know like to watch him play. Yeah, there there is that as well. And Lillard has, of course, the connection with the with the area, and also it, it really does run top to bottom because both teams have a lot of role players that can succeed on effort. Ed Davis, you know, and they don't have a lot of dirty players, you know, like that. There, you can think about somebody like. Matthew Delvadova, for example, who can be kind of an antagonist, or Patrick Beverly with the Warriors, given given the history with him and, and Curry, and there are a couple other guys like that. Okay. Even Chris Paul, who there's an immense amount of respect, but there's also some animosity there. And so the Blazers don't have a lot of the negatives as well, which is important. And the Warriors have reached the level that Portland openly aspires to, and that it can create, if you don't have the animosity in the background, that can create a, a friendly rivalry, you know, kind of the big brother, little brother thing. And also, you talked about the small college thing. Another major parallel between these two teams is that they really did it through the draft and less conventional means. You know, neither had, before Duran, of course, had a high, really high-profile free agent. 
they mostly drafted their own guys and even let's say Mo Harkless. Mo Harkless wasn't drafted by Portland, but they picked him up off the scrap heap for a nothing pick. So that's similar enough. You know, it's not exactly the same, but it's it's pretty it's pretty close. More like, you know, maybe like Bogut or something like that. And so there is that also meshing probably I don't know that Kerr and Stotts have an affinity, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least. And Olshay and Myers probably do as well. And so those organizations can be friendly with one another and still want to beat the stuffing out of each other. Absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a thing with a lot of teams, but I think definitely uh, you're, you're definitely hit it on the nose there with the mutual respect between the teams. I mean, you can see both GMs hanging out before, during the playoff series, uh, Myers and, and Olshay and, you know, Stotts always talks about he's he's always glowing about the Warriors and uh, Steve Kerr, I think as well. You know, whenever they talk, you know, he always praises Terry Stotts. And I, I'm, I'm excited for these games this year. I think they're going to be competitive. Uh, I, I think it, last year's games were a great example of, you know, how fun they can be. And, yeah, I, I'm interested to see how they how, how they match up with each other. I'm interested to see Zaza Pachulia in at center for for the Warriors. That should be fun. Um, yeah, no. I you know, anything else you'd like to touch on? You know, re- with regards to these two teams, Danny. You know, uh, just with you know expectations or things you're looking for, things you're interested in. Uh, I mean, I know we talked about the rotations, but you know, if there's just one thing that you could really sum up about uh, these two teams or something that maybe connects them together to look for in the season. They will probably play really intense, fun games against each other. And the Warriors don't always do that. There are some opponents that they kind of just flatline against, and they, they do that. But they remember who's played them hard, and they remember who has beaten them. And Portland has done both of those things. Portland you know, gave them a tough five-game series, won that game at the Moda Center. I think, if I remember correctly, gave them a scare at Oracle after that. I don't remember exactly. But... That will be exciting, and of course, Portland will be gunning for the Warriors as well, and so there are regular season games that absolutely do not live up to the hype. There will be many of those during the season, but I don't know if it's three or four this year, but those games should definitely do that and will be must-see TV, not only for, for both of our fan bases, you know, for Lockdown Blazers and Lockdown Warriors, but for the league as a whole, and it's also really fun because they're you know, two teams that are in the Pacific, you know, not not the greatest time zone in terms of variety of NBA games, but all of them will be the best game of their time slot. Yeah, no, that that is a, a big win to have, you know, two of the seven PM Pacific, you know, time slots with really good games because, you know, a lot of times it'll be five o'clock and or it'll be seven o'clock and all the best games are already over and there's no real variety. But yeah, I definitely think you're going to be able to look forward to great games with both of these teams. They're going to play well against each other. They respect each other. Not only you know is it competitive, it's high-quality basketball, lots of good shot-making, lots of good passing. And I think that's what, you know, what, what these two teams do well is you know, they, they, they are so good at putting the ball in the basket that it's just like when they get going, it's, 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 it's probably my you – know, maybe I'm a little biased just because I, I watch the – it's all who the Blazers are playing a lot of times, but I, I do think it's one of the more aesthetically pleasing matchups in the league as well. Uh, one quick question for you outside of Mason Plumley, who has to be the front runner for this, what Blazers true big man. So we're not going to count Aminu. Do you think will deserve and will get the most minutes when everybody's healthy? Deserve. 
you know, I, I, I think I'm going to answer this in two ways. I think the guy that I would bet on to do that, I think that most likely is obviously Plumley, And then Myers Leonard, I think, is the guy that you would want. Like in the scenario where you get to the next level, like your best case scenario, like I think it's got to be Myers Leonard who gets the most minutes. Do you think they get to an extension agreement with Mason Plumley? I feel like if they if they if they want I feel like they 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 will because I I wasn't expecting the like the CJ McCollum extension and if they have any doubts about Myers Leonard I think you know they'll they'll probably get an extension done but you know I'm just saying that because it seems like Paul Allen's really willing to spend and really is trying to spare no costs and right now if they want to if they want to guarantee their mo- the most wins that they can they've got to keep Plumley around but I do think that they would rather not do it and bet on Myers Leonard becoming, you know, something better than what Plumlee is right now. I sincerely do not expect that it will reach this point, but if it, if it got all the way to July 8th or whatever day, the moratorium ends next year, hopefully there's no lockout. Plumlee would be the single most interesting restricted free agency in the entire league because how he is evaluated by everybody else, where the Blazers are at that point, because who knows what happens with Festus Zeely if he can make the make the court, Myers Leonard. Like that to me, like the, that uncertainty is a big reason why I probably wouldn't extend Plumlee. It's just the idea of figuring out all of this stuff. But the pressures of the success that they've had and just keeping everybody happy could certainly push them in the other direction. And even if they don't come to an agreement now, it is entirely possible, maybe even likely, that bef- between the end of the season and you know the, when he would actually hit the market that they would come to an agreement. But for selfish reasons, if it doesn't, if it lasts until that late, it'll be really, really interesting to see. Another interesting thing to keep in mind about Mason Plumlee is that Damian Lillard really, really likes playing with him. And really, you know, he was like surprised you know when do you remember that scuffle with jimmy butler uh that they had you know and 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 he gets in there and he you know he really like showed something you know dame really saw something in him and really obviously he trusts him a lot in late game situations to handle the ball pass him the ball as a, as a kind of a safety valve so i i mean i know that player influence is not uh the ultimate decider in a lot of uh decider great word um in a lot of front office decisions but I think it, it, it could matter that, you know, Portland's best player really trusts Mason Plumley, you know, in the foxhole, so to speak. It depends on the GM. It depends on the player and how much of a voice they have in the process. Another factor that can get lost in the shuffle a little bit with Plumley because we think about guys in terms of how long they've been in the league is that he will turn 27 during the season. So the idea of him progressing and, you know, all that is a little bit overstated because he, at this point, he probably is pretty close to what he is. And that isn't really a criticism. It is just a a different way of thinking about it, that you're not getting this, you know, high upside prospect. You're getting a guy who's very important part of your team right now and hoping that he can stay at this level for another four or five years. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think it, it's going to be really interesting if it gets to that point. Yeah, so the, the, you know, this next month, six weeks or so before the season, uh, is going to be pretty interesting to watch for uh, Mason Plumley and see if Portland tries to get an extension done with them before before the season starts. Which you know they did. They elected to not do that last year with most of their uh, you know guys that were going to be coming on the uh, coming up on the end of their rookie deals. 
yeah, we'll have absolutely have to see how it works out covering the Warriors as you know, they have their own cap minutia, which which I can talk about, but they don't really have that extension stuff because everybody who could have been extended wasn't and is now gone. <laughs> yeah, the uh, a free agency of a different kind this year for you, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, Danny, any, anything else you'd like to touch on? Tell the people where they can find you uh, and and uh, where they can find the podcast, Lockdown Warriors, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, as well as the variety of other uh, things that you do. How long do you have? Uh, so <laughs> as much as you as, as much time as you want to uh, plug. So my my Twitter handle is Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. I write for The Athletic. Most of my Warrior stuff goes up there. The Everything else goes to The Sporting News and Real GM. And then I do two other podcasts beyond Locked on Warriors, which are the Dunked on Basketball podcast, which is daily-esque, and then Real GM Radio, which is weekly. You've been on it. And so that is really where everything goes right now. I mean, who knows where, where we'll be a couple of months from now, but I think that'll be more than enough to fill my plate. All right. And I'm Eric Garcia Gunderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric underscore Gunderson. You can follow the Lockdown Blazers podcast at Lockdown Blazers. And thanks, Danny, for coming on the podcast. Uh, Everyone should subscribe to to Danny's pod and leave five-star reviews, just like you should do with all of the podcasts on the Lockdown Podcast Network, including this one. So uh, we'll catch you later on in the week, and uh, see you later.